0: Grab a cocktail and sit back. Let's learn how we can make a positive impact in our industry. Hello, Served Up friends. I'm thrilled to introduce you to Shiana Hamill, a B2B SaaS marketing leader with experience across all sectors in the energy industry, manufacturing, technology, and financial services. Shiana is deeply passionate about developing the next generation of leadership, championing diversity and inclusion, and paving the way for others. She shares her story of ambition and perseverance, immigrating to the U.S. from Sri Lanka. Now grab your favorite cocktail, sit back, and get inspired. Gianna, thank you so much for joining us on Served Up today. Thank you for having me, Julie. It's so great to see you. It is so good to see you. I feel like the last time we saw each other was in New York City, right? When we went to um, and had uh, Singaporean, was it Singaporean food?
1: Yes, it was Singaporean food. It was the first and last time we saw each other in person.
0: I know, uh, way too long, because I feel like it was like the end of last year.
1: It was, it was, we're long overdue. And I have been thinking of like a Korean bathhouse outing <laughs> Um, that came to mind definitely when I was when I was coming in here. And then I was also craving Singaporean food once, uh-huh. you know, once I realized this podcast was coming up. So Definitely kind of all these uh, memories, right? Like all these triggers. Exactly, exactly. Completely related to you and our experience together.
0: Well, what's so funny is like our listeners are probably like, what's up with these Korean bathhouses? Because they keep coming up on our episodes. <laughs> Um, so I'm, I'm so glad. And like EJ says, we should have gotten the duck and we will get the duck next time.
1: Yep. Yep. (laughs) Definitely. And there will be a next time.
0: And there will be for sure. We just got to plan that out. So yeah. Shiana, I really wanted to talk with you because I think, you know, meeting you and and a few of our conversations that we've had and learning bits and pieces of your story, I know that it's so inspirational with kind of the journey that you took coming to the US and everything you went through. Um, And I would like you to share that with our listeners. So can you just kind of once upon a time, take us back to the beginning of your story and and how you got to kind of where you are today.
1: Yeah, happy to. And I am always happy to share this story in the hopes that, you know, it will inspire someone or, you know, give someone else hope um, because, you know, we all go through so many hardships throughout our lives. And sometimes it's it's very hard to to get that inspiration to keep going. So I am an immigrant. You already know that. I came here when I was 18 by myself. And just kind of going back to that coming here um, was a goal of mine since I was nine years old. And it's, it's funny that I think of it now because my children, my twin boys are nine. So I always, you know, every age, and I don't remember when I was six or five or whatever the case is, but I do remember me at nine. And that was one of the things I declared to my parents was that I was going to move to the U S and I was going to do that by starting, um, by getting an education and at 18, I'll be gone. And they kind of laughed at me initially, but they also knew how headstrong I was and, just how determined I could be. So I think they did take me seriously to some extent. And I was laser focused on that goal. I even like tell the story where um, like from a grades perspective, I was not that focused on getting straight A's and all of that because I was looking at kind of, I was more strategic in terms of, this is what I need to do to get there. And so, you know, if I have to do the minimum here, but then maximize on this end, which was sports or community service or whatever the case might be, then that's what I was going to do. Right. So, um, so I was okay with an occasional C and, and B and so on, but, uh, but my, my goal never changed. Um. So that was, uh, you know, I, it's, I kind of marvel at it now looking back because my boys are nine and they don't, they are not that strategic.
0: No, I know. I'm like, that's a major, big strategic decision to make at nine years old. So where, where is home for you and why the U S like, what was it that, that you wanted to come here and, and really have your adult life here?
1: Yeah. So I was born in Sri Lanka. um, And at the time I made this declaration, we were actually living in Oman in the Middle East. Mm -hmm. Um, So my dad uh, had taken a job there. And when I was five and I was actually left in Sri Lanka for some time living with my grandparents Mm -hmm. while my parents uh, moved to Oman with my little brother. Uh, who was just born. So we're five years apart. And I was flying by myself internationally at that time to go back and forth from Sri Lanka to Oman. So even that, thinking back, I can't imagine sending my kindergartners um on an international flight solo. But I was doing that and um and I actually enjoyed it a lot of times because you know, I'd get all these ice creams, all these sweet things that they want to kind of ply you with. And, and you <laughs> that spoiled. Um, yeah, I was spoiled. So um, so I had to I guess in a way I did have to get very independent very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and partly, I think my reason and my desire to escape really went back to the way things were in Sri Lanka. We were, um, in a civil war at the time. And so I had seen some horrific things and I continued to see horrific things once we moved back from Oman back to Sri Lanka. And I just did not want to be a part of that anymore. I wanted to escape. I was really looking for my own American dream really. And, um, so I saw it as an escape, but an opportunity to also start from scratch and start afresh.
0: Mm-hmm. And um, so we where was school for you? And is, you know, what is that kind of if you were to stay in Sri Lanka, like what is the you know, wh- what do future futures usually look like for for young women and, and perhaps some of your friends or family that stayed? Yeah. Um,
1: yeah, that's a good question, because even my uh, friends and family that stayed have left since then. Mm-hmm. They have either moved to Australia or New Zealand. Those are the primary two destinations or the U.S. And in fact, a lot of my family has moved here, my extended family, my aunts and uncles and so on. And as I immigrated here, I was able to bring my parents over. I sponsored them, got them citizenship. And so they've been here now for over 10 years,
0: um, which has been incredible. That's amazing because, you know, I can relate to that story as my mom immigrating here from South Korea, right, and and for that opportunity for a new life to be able to provide and and at the time, you know, she was in her mid twenties, um, had us so young. And I couldn't imagine me being in my twenties, immigrating to a new country, any country, right? So um with a
1: child.
0: With children, exactly. Yes, I mean, aunts and a horrible husband. So that's like a whole nother story. But you know, when you don't have um an ally and and all of that, but support system, yeah. Right. And and not understanding the language. When did you learn English? Is that something part of your culture that you that English is kind of taught early on? Or, or was that something that yes. you pursued later? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So yes, I was raised bilingual. And um, my parents also wanted my brother and I to learn other foreign languages very early on. So We were in French and German. We were taking French and German lessons when we were also around 10. Um, So, you know, that was really instilled on us very early. Um, But I learned and I grew up with British English. So there was a little bit of a transition that had to happen as I moved here Um, but that's easy to do. I think when you're, when you're younger and you're going through college and, um, and all of that. So I, I feel like I've assimilated pretty well.
0: (laughs) Yes, yes, for sure. And so uh, tell us about that process. Like how, when you, you know, you obviously decided at nine, you did everything you needed to do to get here. What did that look like? And, and then how did it finally happen?
1: Yeah. So my original dream was to go to California. I that was kind of my thing. I wanted to go there Um, and I was pushing for that as hard as I could. But my parents were like, "Mm, we already know how distracted you can get. Um, So I had all these um, acceptance letters and they were like, "Mm, California, maybe not so much. Uh, We'll send you to Ohio so <laughs> where you can't possibly get into any, in into anything or any trouble so i found myself in rural ohio um in the middle of like all these cornfields and Uh, All of that. And um, it wasn't as glamorous, certainly, as going to to college in California. And, you know, I had dreams and visions about having the beach super accessible, the mountains, skiing, like all of these things Mm -hmm. that I wanted to do um, that I thought would be exciting. And in rural Ohio, the most exciting thing was just going out to eat. Or like going to Walmart and walking around because it was a super Walmart and it was massive. (laughs) And it's so sad (laughs) I think back to that. Right. Um, But as a kid from from Sri Lanka, like that was still very different to me. Like we didn't have super Walmarts there. Um, We didn't even have a, a TV when I was born. Like that was not a thing. Um, so those things that, you know, Americans and I certainly now take for granted are not
0: things that are accessible to people
1: around the world.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think of a lot of that. It's, it's funny, you know, from my husband growing up in, in South Africa, there was, uh, you know, they, they didn't get a lot of access to a lot of the things that, that we did. So he always, has that comment with my son when I was young, I didn't have this and I didn't have that. So (laughs) I totally get it. So, so then you, you came over through school and that was in Ohio and, and how was that journey for you? What were, what was like your biggest challenges and, you know, how did you kind of plow through that and, you know, stay? Cause I think a lot of people too, like they'll kind of try and then they end up going back.
1: Yes. Yeah. So yes, actually that's an interesting story because um, I actually got sick while I was in school, mm-hmm. and um, I didn't know what it was. Uh, doctors couldn't diagnose me. I, what I had mono, mm-hmm. but they couldn't figure out that I had mono at the time. And so um, by the time I was diagnosed with it, I was really far into it and just. Just completely out of it, miserable, so I had to take I had to take a year off school to just recover physically from it um, and I spent that year back in Sri Lanka, so I went back, um took some time off, really rested, recuperated um all of that, and then came back so that was challenging in and of itself because I wasn't going to graduate with my incoming class, and I was you know disappointed about that. And then I, you know, I didn't go down that traditional path of getting an internship. And I, I kind of thought through that and wondered exactly what to do. But I was sort of on the fence. And then I met a boy. So I met a boy in college. Obviously, I met a lot of boys. But this boy in particular, I ended up marrying. Hmm. Um, so instead of going to grad school, I got married right after I graduated this man, uh, was in the military. So he was a Marine. And, um, and the way this all went down is after I graduated, I did go back to Sri Lanka and he followed me Mm -hmm. proposed. Um, and we came back and got married, uh, at the time he was stationed in Camp Lejeune, you know, Mm -hmm. the one where you see all those, lawsuits uh now with the water contamination and all that. Uh, Um (laughs) but uh so yeah I lived in this really small town of Jacksonville, North Carolina for some time. That's actually where we got married. Uh the marriage didn't last. He was uh he was violent so it was a domestic violence, violence situation. Um, So much so that, you know, I found myself in a women's shelter um, one, one time, and I honestly should have gone more frequently than that one time. But that was like my breaking point. And what I discovered through that process is that when, you know, women go through domestic violence, they leave and come back um, seven times or more it's this kind of continuing process right because you're you're just trying to kind of almost excuse or like just find a reason to um to, to like rationalize it. rationalize to rationalize to um you know give your person a pass Because you think like, okay, they are going
0: to change. And And you also care for them, right? Which is so hard to understand to somebody that's abusive is that you actually still care for them. Yes, it's such
1: a terrible uh, dynamic, honestly. And um, yeah, I don't wish that on anyone. It was... uh, It was an incredibly hard situation, but even after that, um, we ended up moving. So he got out of the military. We ended up moving from North Carolina to Delaware and bought a house together. Um, I was just trying to convince myself that there was a future here, but, but there wasn't, it was a, it was a repeat situation and, and Mm -hmm. they almost always are. Um, in fact, they continue to escalate. Right. Mm -hmm. And I saw recently that, um, domestic violence is the number one killer now of women in the United States. Um, it's not, I don't think it's heart disease anymore, which is kind of crazy to me, but I've lived that, you know, I've lived that and, um, and I really, I, I, I can empathize and I feel so deeply about, you know, if I can help one person in this situation realized that it is possible to start over in those, in those circumstances, I walked away from my home that I owned. I just signed it off. I signed it over to him with, I wanted nothing. I just wanted to get out of it. So he had a, he had a home that I had contributed to paid for, um, and, you know, just all these assets that I just gave away because I wanted to
0: distance myself from him. Mm-hmm. I just commend you for doing that because I know how hard it is and it it really can happen to anybody, you know, and um, I've seen it. Right. I mean, I I mentioned my mother and, you know, with the man that she you know my dad was also in the military they met in South Korea, and you know it was a different kind of abuse, right it was more um emotional abuse, you know, maybe cool. not as physical, but it's still especially when you feel that you know you're you're kind of need that person right because you've already committed to your life with them, so you're you're trying to do everything that you can to make it make it last um And, you know, so going through all that, I could, I could imagine. And so your two boys was, did you have them with him or at the time? No,
1: no, 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 I didn't. Thankfully, um, Mm -hmm. my sons, yeah, my twins are with my current husband. Mm -hmm. Um, And we, we got together almost 15 years ago now. So it's, it's kind of, it's kind of crazy to think how time flies. Um, but no, thankfully, no, not with him. And we parted ways and we haven't seen each other or heard from each other since, since the divorce was finalized, Mm -hmm. painfully had to go back and be part of the divorce proceedings in Mm -hmm. person. Um, so that was, that was quite difficult. Um, also because he ended up bringing his then girlfriend to the divorce proceedings and she was a minor. At the time. Yeah. So it was, uh,
0: it was tough, tough to swallow. I mean, it's, it's, it's really sad that the laws don't protect women better and make it a more comfortable situation. I mean, it's, it's unfortunate and you know, what helped you get through it? What made you finally decide to leave them? Because I know that, like you said, it's it's, very challenging, and a lot of women can't, you know, haven't figured out how to do that.
1: Yeah, you know, I don't know what my final straw was. Um, I just know that I I've reached that point, and I just I thought I can't do this anymore. I mean, I think it's really hard to get to that point because you're thinking, you know, ahead, right? Like most women and most mothers, I know, like we're thinking weeks months years like we're planning for everything that's to come and our minds are going constantly right so in that sense i think we kind of overthink like what's going to happen with this what's going to happen with that and how is this this going to impact me and i think i had this like moment of clarity where i'm like screw it like i don't even care what happens with that i'm just mm-hmm. going to figure it out and it's I mean, it's hard to get to that point because there's a lot of fear and it's one of those things where you just have to kind of persevere in spite of the fear. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I don't know how I got to that point. I'm just, I'm just super glad I did.
0: Yeah. And I mean, it, it must've been even challenging being, here without your family, and your family still back home, and and they probably—I mean, I don't know—did they did they know what you were going through? Was it something that you kind of kept to yourself?
1: So I did keep it to myself for quite some time, and then when it did come out, and that it came out because um, I ended up getting a protective order for a short period of time. Um, he was arrested. And mm-hmm. so then the military got involved and, you know, there were some implications there, but I didn't end up pressing charges because it would also affect me because at the time I couldn't work. So I was financially dependent on this man. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I couldn't let go of benefits and and all these things that I was afforded by his work. So I was kind of caught in this, in this situation. And so. When it did come out and um, I ended up talking to my my parents about it and actually his parents, um, it was sort of swept under the rug, honestly, because it's one of those things where they and, and I can't remember exactly who it was, but I know they all sort of questioned what I had done to provoke some of these behavior. And I think some of that is very cultural in nature. And my parents have changed so much since they've come here. Um, They used to be quite conservative. They're now, you know, super liberal and progressive. Um, And so their lived experience changed once they moved here and, you know, um, got exposure to so many different people, races, gender identities, you know, all these things, um, which I'm super grateful for, but they didn't have that back then. And so I felt deep shame at the time. And it was kind of like, oh my gosh, I have a failed marriage and I'm only, you know, 23 years old. Um, It's not a, it's not a fun place to be. Um, And I did I did pull in, um, support from a lot of friends at the time, friends from college who lived in kind of surrounding areas. And I ended up living with a couple of them here and there. It sort of was, you know, I spent a few months with one and then I went to another. And so I did lean on them quite a bit and they were fantastic. So I think that, you know, that really helped me. and. um those are like those are things that change
0: people's lives, women's lives. Mm-hmm. That kind of support. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's when, you know, your girlfriends can really make or break for you. And 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 boyfriends too, you know, yeah. any friends, right? Like yeah. having those strong friendships during those times um can can really change the trajectory of of one's life and, and being able to share that with somebody. Cause you know, again, I, I know how hard that is. I mean, just even the system of having to get a protective order is not easy. I mean, I went through that with my mother round two at another time in her life. Um, and literally had to go to the courthouse and wait six hours to stand before the judge and tell them why you're in fear for your life and you need a yes. restrictive order. That it's not made easy for the woman at all. No, um, that are in these type of abusive relationships. So
1: no, not at all. No, I completely agree.
0: Yeah, this, the support system is is so so important. Yeah. It absolutely is. And, you know, and just um, so unfortunate that you had to go through all of that. And, and, but, you know, you did, you know, kind of get out of it. And once you separate made that separation, what, how did you just kind of build yourself up again, back to that kind of nine-year-old ambition of, of what you want and, and get back on track?
1: Yeah. I mean, I started with nothing again. I had some clothes. I didn't have a ton of personal belongings. I really had to start from scratch. So at that time uh, I was living in Delaware with my then husband and, um, you know, I met him in Ohio, so he had moved back to Ohio. And so he was, he had filed for divorce in Ohio. I filed for divorce in Delaware And what I found out at that time, I don't know if states do this now, but they didn't talk to each other. So my divorce was going through in two different states and I was just lost. I didn't know what to do. I actually ended up having to get two separate attorneys. (laughs) And I was so grateful um, for the Violence Against Women's Act because that actually helped me Get some legal um counsel and advice because I was protected within that that act, and so very grateful for the fact that that was that was in place um and then ultimately it ended up um getting discarded out of Ohio and seen through Delaware. But what happened was because I had to come back to Delaware quite frequently for some of these hearings and and to show up in court, I wanted to go out of state but stay close enough that I could drive back so I picked Annapolis Maryland um and it was sort of like my goal was kind of twofold I wanted it to be somewhere close to the water somewhere scenic um which Annapolis is beautiful I don't know if you've been yeah um and And then part of it was I, you know, I majored in political science. So I thought, why not go to Capitol Hill? It had been a dream of mine. I did model UN. I had worked um, and did a lot in terms of like being involved in international relations and things like that. That was a passion of mine. And I sort of was geographically making my way towards Capitol Hill. Mm -hmm. And um, so I moved, you know, I moved into an apartment bought like started over, bought new furniture, did all of that. And I got a contract role, a contract to hire role at this very small research and co- consulting firm. Um right on the water, most beautiful location. You can just walk out. The parking lot was on the water. So all you see is like sailboats mostly, but there were also yachts and and uh power boats. Um and just so gorgeous. And then across the way was the Naval Academy, and so just I had such a sense of like peace and like calming, and it was soothing to be there. And I was really like taking in all my surroundings. I I loved that area, and so I I took on like an administrative role, and a lot of it encompassed uh, marketing multiple marketing roles. And I completely fell in love with marketing. You know, at that time, I knew how to code. So I, I don't know. I coded and built the, you know, their first website. I did all these like cool things that I didn't think were possible and nor did, had I even thought I would like doing them. Um, and I, I just enjoyed it. And I fell in love and I thought, you know what? I, I have a new dream. I am going to be a marketer and I am going to just, you know, climb that ladder as far as I can. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that's that's the path I went on.
0: That's when Shiana, the marketer, came to life and was yes. born. And that is um, wow. So so inspiring what you were able to endure and then start all over, find that happy place for you to help you through the transition. That's incredible. So from what was, you know, from there, like where, where was that kind of that big milestone that kind of got you into your profession? Cause I know that, that you've, you've definitely gone up that ladder and had a lot of different experiences. So kind of share that journey with us.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, this, this small consulting uh, research and consulting company was acquired um, a couple of years into my tenure there. And I had, you know, I had already done a lot of different things and and I was starting to reflect and think, you know, what next for me? And I knew this 20 person company was not going to live up to my ambitions. So I had started to think through, okay, what's next? Uh, What do I look for? And then boom, this acquisition happened and we grew from 20 people to 200 people overnight. Mm -hmm. And I thought, wow, so much opportunity, right? Mm -hmm. And I was super excited about that. And I ended up raising my hand up for every new opportunity that came up and ended up getting it because you know, a lot of times people were afraid to volunteer for new opportunities. And these were opportunities that came through an M&A spree they went on subsequent to, to acquiring the company I was with. Um, and wow, that was incredible. I got to experience so many different sectors within the energy industry. I should mention that the first, the company um, that I started working with in Annapolis was in the coal industry, like Mm -hmm. of all industries that I could have picked, coal, (laughs) COAL, right? (laughs) And at the time, more than 80% of U.S. electricity was generated by coal. Mm -hmm. So it was thriving at that time. Now, not so much. And I also actually saw that at the time. I knew that there would be this slow decline, and I wanted to... Pivot and move to other sectors within energy to learn and to be able to be more kind of developed in my thinking around how energy, um, you know, what that energy portfolio might look like, what the needs and how needs will change, right? Um, so I was really fortunate to work in all these different sectors um, metals and mining, power and utilities upstream oil and gas, petrochemicals, chemicals, refining, like you name it, I have done it in energy and how exciting, like I was getting promotions every year, year and a half, I was traveling all over the world, um, you know, opening new offices, hiring marketing talent, just amazing, amazing experiences. And I was the only marketer in our Annapolis office at the time. And I and I always was. They never hired anyone there. So um, my bosses throughout those years were always, always overseas. I had, you know, managers in the UK, managers in Australia, same with direct report. So very early on, prior to COVID, prior to this like virtual working environment, I was doing all that. I was used to it. I was working in these, um, you know, cross-functional teams that were dispersed globally. And wow, what a
0: great skill and experience to have when COVID came about. Oh my God, I can imagine. So how long was your career journey there? And when did you kind of, you know, start, your, your second life with your husband and, and your, your twin boys.
1: Yeah. So I actually spent over 11 years there. Mm -hmm. So, um, I say that's where I grew up. Like Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's where I got married. That's where I had my kids. That's where, you know, I went from uh, assistant to like, you know, management, you know, all of that. Right. So yeah, I, I grew up not only in my career but my personal life Mm -hmm. as a leader all of that and it was while i was there that i met my now my current husband um we met online um, when online dating was not that much of a thing back then. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was always kind of embarrassed at the time to say we met online. Now it's just one of those things, Holy, right?
0: Yeah, it's like so normal. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. But 15 years ago, it was not normal to say we met online, and so, um, but we did. And honestly, it it went amazing. Like, you know, uh, we were engaged two years to the day that we started dating Mm -hmm. and he had told me actually when when we started dating it's going to take me at least two years to figure out if I want to marry you so just just know that (laughs) and I said okay that's fair but listen if you don't make a decision in two years like I'm gone Mm -hmm. and so (laughs) so on the day he proposed to me like on that two-year dating anniversary um and we sort of eloped. We went to Jamaica for like three, four weeks. Uh, I was working for um, the company was based out of the UK. So I had wonderful benefits, tons of vacation. And so um, we went to Jamaica, just the two of us. We had, we did have a wedding. We had a ceremony. We had like a wedding planner there. We had no guests except for the the guests at the resort. Um, They did
0: all like they join in.
1: Yeah, they did. And they were like, they were applauding. They were, you know, celebrating. They were, they watched the whole ceremony. Mm. Um, But what we did was we took some time before the wedding. So we kind of relaxed, really chilled out, had the wedding and then continued to stay for our honeymoon. So Mm. it was a really like amazingly relaxed vacation really Mm -hmm. um and they took care of all the details so I just had to show up with my dress and shoes
0: (laughs) I hey it sounds very familiar my second marriage was very simple too because you really realize what's important um the second time around uh wow that is uh that is quite this story and and that's you know just so wonderful that that you were able to kind of find, you know, that that second chance of, you know, love and and then building a family and having your twin boys. So they're nine you yes. mentioned. And yes,
1: did you have actually- them in
0: Annapolis where um I don't remember where you're currently at now. Are you still no, no. Wow. So I'm in you're, Houston now. I'm you're in Houston, Houston Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, so
1: the that company I was telling you about that I was with for 11 years moved us out here mm-hmm. uh, for a new role and a promotion uh, at that. And then they laid me off nine months later. So um, unfortunately, we'd already made the move with two seven month olds in tow. So we mm-hmm. bought a new house. So we were we were sort of staying put for a little bit. I've subsequently gone through many more transitions and layoffs and, and exits. So it's been a little bit of a tumultuous journey for me. And I'm in transition right now as well, mm-hmm. looking for my next success. Um, but I'll tell you, going back to my kids, they're about to turn 10 in a couple of weeks and. Mm-hmm. It was a journey getting to have them because I went through infertility challenges and um, I had three miscarriages that were heartbreaking. The first one was in my second trimester. Um, Two of them uh, didn't spontaneously miscarry. So I had to have DNCs. the third one, I got tested, found out it was a little girl, it was a girl, <laughs> and that, you know, there was nothing wrong with her. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was, you know, searching for those reasons why this was happening. There were no reasons, right? Beyond your body is rejecting your fetuses. And it's a really tough sp- uh, pill to swallow. And I, but I was determined. It was kind of like coming to the US. I knew, and I will tell you, I knew even back then, nine, 10 years old, I wanted to be a mom. Mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't obviously pursue it till I had the opportunity. But once once I was ready and in that place, I did. So we got pregnant really fast. Um, the first time after we got married. And obviously lost uh lost three. And so You know, my husband still says, like, if it weren't for me continuing to push through, continuing to, like, carry him and drag him into all these appointments and do all the treatments and all of this, like, we would never have had kids. Like, we would never have had these boys.
0: What a blessing. Yeah. I mean, an absolute. And then to get two little bundles of joy at the same time. How incredible and your boys are about the age of mine you know I mean mine's 11 now so I just I know how special that is and yes yes
1: yeah absolutely you know he my husband actually didn't want kids when we first met and so that was one of the um one of the criteria of of marriage like we agreed to one child. I wanted three. Mm-hmm. Um he wanted zero, so we landed at one. And then when I got pregnant with the twins, he was like you tricked me. <laughs> How did this happen? Um when really it's actually his partly his doing that mm-hmm. I had it came from his side. Twins, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um so Yeah, that was, that was really funny because I I still remember to this day calling him to let him know it was twins because I'd just gone in for a routine appointment and they broke the news to me and I thought, oh my God, you're joking. And so I called him and he was driving at the time and I said, pull over. And he thought he assumed the worst because we already had three, three miscarriages. He thought, oh my God, what's going on? Tell me, you know? And I said, well, there's two in there. And he said, what do you mean there's two in there? So there's, we have two babies. Like we're having twins. He said, are you sure? Are they sure? <laughs> Pretty sure I saw them. Um, I, I mean, he was just completely lost. Um, he said at the time, all he saw was dollar signs. Yeah. When he heard it, was going to be two. <laughs>
0: Oh, gosh, not the double amount of love, but yes, probably dollars too. Wow, Shanna, your story is just uh, incredible. And, you know, I, I knew bits and pieces of it. I appreciate you so much for sharing that because I know that there's so many women and people that go through this and and probably don't share it and and need to hear other people's stories. So it's just thank you for, for being, you know, so open and and sharing your story. And I know it'll impact so many people and, and just knowing you and, you know, the, the, the times that we've spent together, you're always just so positive and so light and just like, so full of joy, you know? And I think it just goes to show that, you know, I think like you said in the, in the beginning of the podcast is, being able to overcome some of those really difficult times and, and be in a, in a place where you've got so much love around you.
1: Yes. Yes. And really just pulling from that strength, right. That, you know, you have, because there's evidence of that. Mm -hmm. I think that's, that's really important because our minds can can play tricks on us. They can lie to us. And really it's going back and looking at what does evidence tell you? Like, what did you actually do and overcome and achieve? And it's so important to embrace that and, and know that you're capable of so much more.
0: Yeah. I mean, that is such an important reminder, right? Is that we do our minds talk us out of a lot of things. And, um, but the, the strength that, that human strength, um, especially that of a woman and an immigrant and, you know, all of that is, is just, um, It's incredible. And, you know, I I think you sharing that is is going to inspire so many people on, you know, whatever hardships they're going through is like really finding that inner strength that's there and and embracing it.
1: Yes, absolutely. And asking for help. Mm -hmm. I think and accepting the help, right? Like I didn't have a place to stay at one point and just accepting that help from from friends, I think, you know, it's humbling. It's a humbling experience, but you have to kind of go through that to come
0: out on the other side. Yeah. That is a huge piece is asking for the help. And sometimes we think we can do it on our own or we don't want to ask for help. And, you know, it's, it is so important to have people helping you along the way. Yes. Completely Um, agree. Well, what's next for you, Shiana? I know you're in transition, uh, you know, and, and really in that kind of marketing world. What, what is next for you? What do you envision? What's your, your next strategy to get you to where you want to be?
1: Yes. Yeah, so I am looking for my next corporate gig as a head of marketing, you know, CMO, SVP, VP level role in a business to business saas roles preferably but anything that encompasses business to business marketing is where you know where my um expertise comes in and i'm also doing some advisory work and consulting as a fractional cmo and that's something i think that i will sustain in the long run and perhaps look at starting my own business and going into entrepreneurship. So I'm excited about what lies uh, what lies ahead for me and kind of the opportunities that are out there. Um, so I'm also open to any advisory services that anyone might need in the world of B2B SaaS marketing. Yeah, I'm just pursuing some of my other kind of passion projects, which are helping uh, women of color, helping junior marketers looking for that leg up on getting to the next level of leadership, Um, working with women in particular, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I'm just very passionate about that. Um, And immigrants, like uh, if I can help immigrant women kind of navigate what that career might look like career pathing career um, progression. I mean, that's fantastic to me. So I'm doing that through some volunteer opportunities, board service in, um, in the nonprofit space, and so on. So really, really excited about that.
0: Yes, there's, you know, I think so many leaders as yourself that are just, you know, working on what you need for your life and your fulfillment but also just the amount of giving back and and really helping you know that next you know group of women and and people and people of color you know achieve their ambitions and their goals is is fantastic so if our listeners want to get in touch with you in any way what's the best way to contact you where could they find you through the various social channels
1: so I am everywhere but I am um quite private in some of the on some of the channels. Um I'm I'm quite active on LinkedIn so definitely look for me on LinkedIn at Shiana Hamel and you can also email me. I am completely open to answering emails as um as I receive them and I I love hearing from people and meeting new people and I actually open up uh, my time every week to Talk to new people, network, and see how I can help them. So
0: I have some time slots available to do that. Oh, that is such a nice open invitation. And I'm like you, my social channel of choice is LinkedIn. So, (laughs) you know, and I think it's such a great platform. I've met incredible people, contacts from all over the world, and it's just such a great way to connect. And I know a lot of our Listeners are on there, so I think you know, just putting that out there, and and just being accepting to it could could really make a difference uh, for a lot of people. Absolutely, yes.
1: Thank you so much, Julie. It was wonderful. I can't wait to see you in
0: person again. Yes, um, we <laughs> are going to plan something. Um, whether it's you know meeting up in Dallas, they have the the King Spa in dallas the korean king spa the the same one in chicago
1: oh okay and they don't have they don't have one in houston
0: maybe i i haven't i haven't looked at i wouldn't be surprised because i think you guys have quite the korean community there but um we did go to the one in dallas and apparently that same company that same um uh, brand is also in Dallas. So we had made plans to try to go, but yes. And I need to actually make a visit to Texas and kind of hop around and do some market visits. So we will have to plan something. And if you're ever going to be back in Miami, you're always welcome to.
1: Thank you. Yeah, no, I'm definitely going to take you up on that.
0: Yes. Um, I did
1: Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yes exactly although it's been a little cool here and there um it today's a, is a beautiful day though so i can't complain um we yeah and i'm happy to come to dallas too julie it's not i mean it's a little bit of a drive but
0: I can make that for you. I'd love to see you. Yes, me too. Well, we will plan it. I thank you so much. And, you know, you definitely inspire me. And I just appreciate you sharing your story so much. And I think it'll touch so many people and give everybody, um, that reminder of, of our inner strength that we have to really overcome and, and be, you know, really enjoy the best of life and those views and, and, you know, all the beauty that's in front of us. So thank you. Thank you, Julie. Thanks for listening. Served Up is brought to you by Southern Glazers, Wine and Spirits, produced by Zunu.online. Music, by we Kill the Lion can be found on Spotify. Make sure to subscribe to be notified of future Served Up episodes. Cheers!